Hello and welcome to the Power Switch, gaming's call-in talk radio show. My name is Peter Spezia, and today is April 6th, 2017. This is the 20th episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We use Discord as a means to add and drop callers to talk about video games and switch the power that is found in the typical gaming podcast. You can join our server to participate during recordings at rhymeswithasia.com slash call. Uh, Rachel will be back on the show on Saturday. We're also trying to finalize details with a special guest for that show, so fingers crossed. Looking forward to that. Uh, I have been playing Persona 5, if you're curious, not a surprise at all. I uh, talked about my favorite games of all time last episode, and uh, yeah, Persona 5 is really good so far. Off to a slow start, uh, certainly. Uh, I'm just shy of five hours, so I'm entering the first palace with finally my team of four. And uh, so there's still a lot to go, and it's still trying to teach all of the different mechanics that are there in Persona. And so I think it's off to a different kind of slow start than Persona 4 Golden is. I mean, everyone's just, everyone dogs Persona 4 Golden is to say, oh, it's it's a slow start, and it's why I couldn't get into it. Uh, I think that was more narrative. Like, Persona 4 Golden fed you a bunch of narrative and didn't really let you do too much, and that may be uh, part of its its slow start and its perceived... uh, intro that way uh but at least persona 5 gets you off right off the bat and uh you're doing a whole bunch of things but the game is definitely leading you they're kind of having you on a leash and like no you can't do too much else but it's all for a reason so i'm kind of still in that phase about to attack the uh, the first palace and yeah really enjoying it so far but soon the uh the shackles will come off uh with all that and i'll, I'll be ready to go and really looking forward to that so the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild spoiler cast has been scheduled. Uh, it's going to be on Sunday, April 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you are interested in participating in that, tune in then and we'll uh, we'll talk about all things Zelda here on the Discord channel at rhymeswithasia.com slash call. Really enjoying uh, the discussion leading up to that and I look forward to kind of putting it all together with you, the listeners. That should be a whole lot of fun. Let's get to the main topic here. Uh, Today was a big day in the game industry, and it was kind of unprecedented in a way where Microsoft partnered with a third-party gaming publication in Eurogamer and as a result for that digital foundry to officially reveal the specifications for Project Scorpio, which would be the next iteration of Xbox One. Now, they came out with the Xbox One S last year, but that was more of a kind of slim remodel in a way to also give the ability for 4K media playback and HDR, the high dynamic range. But it wasn't really a big boost, a big step up like PlayStation 4 Pro was. So this is the kind of competition with that. And as a result, Microsoft is going above and beyond. Uh, Xbox Scorpio looking pretty impressive. I'm breaking down the tech specs here. If you want the whole you know, details of all the clock speeds and all the cores and the processing, I mean, there it's right there on Eurogamer. Definitely check that out. Digital Foundry also does a really good job breaking all of it down. But to kind of... And not really dumb it down in a way, but kind of bring it down to simple terms. Uh, during last year's E3, they talked about six teraflops that Xbox Project Scorpio would hit. And it's like, it seems like a lot. Uh, you know, gaming PCs today, you know, good ones with, you know, high end graphics cards, 10 teraflops, 12. So it can get a certain level, but six, pretty good for a console. Uh, PS4 Pro kind of hits around 4.2. 
it turns out with these tests that Scorpio does seem to hit that six teraflop promise. So that's a good start. Uh, it's 30% more powerful than Xbox One with a GPU of 4.6 times more power than your base Xbox One. Uh, as far as RAM goes, memory, it's 12 gigabytes of GDDR5 RAM. Uh, that's the same kind of RAM that was in the PS4 right from the beginning. Uh, now, four of those are used for the actual system resources. So that means you have eight gigabytes of that GDDR5 RAM to work with, which is an improvement of, you know, if there was five gigabytes of that of a different gun with the DDR3 RAM for the original Xbox One. So it's again, a, a nice big improvement. So is it more powerful than PlayStation 4 Pro? At the end of the day, I mean, when you're just looking at numbers, certainly, yes, it is. Uh, but you know, it all comes down to how the software runs and how well it's optimized. So it'll really be on a game by game basis and we'll definitely have to see uh, between the third party games that come to both systems. But as far as the numbers go, yes, Xbox Scorpio is uh, it's more powerful. And that, that's still a code name. That's really important to know because there are certain things we did not learn today. Uh, today was definitely more of a very numbers heavy, very nerdy, techy sort of unveiling. And, and for the the kind of nature that it was to just be revealed like that. I mean, that that's really unprecedented. And I think to kind of go away from that, I mean, it's long, long ago, the days of the TV, TV, sports, sports, sports kind of reveal for the initial uh, unveiling of Xbox one. But it still means that ideally at E3 2017, not, not that, you know, Microsoft's planning an event before necessarily, but there will be a full reveal of this project Scorpio for Xbox one. So we still need to know a name. And uh, if I had to put any sort of money down or any guess, uh, you know, seen possibly the name of Xbox One X floating around, I would kind of put money strongly towards that. Uh, this is still in the Xbox One family. Now, Xbox One S, kind of more a slimmed down version, but all these, you know, Xbox One games are still going to be played on all of these systems. So it it isn't the whole next generation step. It's it's a good bump. Uh, as far as power goes, but it's it's not you know something brand new, so it's not you know Xbox Two or anything like that. So I think Xbox One X, you know, like the going back to Xbox and you know X kind of a stronger, more powerful machine. That I would imagine that would be the direction that they're leaning towards. If you're talking about just a name, now of course we need, need to learn about games as well. Uh, they showed a. A Forza sort of six tech demo sort of thing. They were talking about how they were kind of running the Scorpio through that, you know, all these weather effects at the Nuremberg with the most amount of cars possible. And on, I guess on uh, Xbox One, it would push like 90% of the system's capacity. And on this, you know, kind of a similar setup for Scorpio down to 60. It means there's room to grow. Uh, it shows, you know, some, some good power boosts there. Uh, but you know, we don't really know too much else besides that. Uh, if we had to possibly speculate, I would imagine that, you know, when we haven't heard from Crackdown, Crackdown 3 in a while, uh, I would imagine that not only did it just get pushed back to be refined, but also got pushed back for this. Uh, originally, there was talks with that game of saying, oh, there'll be cloud computing, uh, you know, with the Xbox One and the cloud for the extra power. But if you're talking about extra CPU, extra GPU, uh, you know, push it back to Scorpio, and especially when the, the cloud technology didn't exactly totally pan out for Xbox One. I would imagine that, you know, we'll see Crackdown obviously at E3, but it would probably be a shine piece 
for uh, Scorpio here, Xbox One X or whatever you want to call it here. Uh, Forza, obviously, I mean, card games, <laughs> driving simulators, obviously always look really good, especially when you're trying to push graphics and trying to push for that realism. So it would be Forza Motorsport 7, which would be next up on the docket, assuming they keep to those alternating Motorsport Horizon alternations there. And I'd say we got to see Halo. Uh, Halo 6 or Halo 6 name subtitle here. Even if it's just a teaser, it doesn't have to be say necessarily coming this year. I would imagine Halo 6 would be a 2018, you know, fall 2018 game there. But at least show a first tease of what Halo looks like on Scorpio. So I would imagine like these kind of games would would sort of be in the forefront of what they would show at something like E3 for a full Scorpio reveal. But, uh, you know, the big question is, is that really enough? Uh, price is also something that we still need to learn. Uh, you know, there's some speculation from Eurogamer that $4.99 would be sort of a kind of reasonable price based on what they're stuffing into the box, plus, you know, something that looks appealing on a market level. Uh, $4.99, the same price as Xbox One when it launched almost four years ago. So, that would kind of make sense, especially when you're talking about a much more premium product. I think if you go any higher, uh, you're risking some danger there, and they they can't go lower. I mean, if they do, you know, kudos would help them sell more and catch up, uh, you know, behind the the two to one sales margin that PS4 kind of has over them. Uh, but I think probably four ninety nine, based on what they're talking about for power versus re- reasonable consumer price, uh, that seems pretty reasonable there. So also the box design. I guess that really matters to some people as we saw with the uh, the PS4 versus the Xbox One and their respective reveals in 2013. Uh, but, you know, we didn't see anything as far as the box goes. We saw the system on chip processor that's been going around the internet, certainly. Uh, but nothing as far as the actual machine itself goes. So there is a lot still to learn, uh, ideally, at E3. But what does it all mean? I mean... Honestly, ideally, it's it's a really nice piece of tech. It ticks all the right boxes for that core player, but I don't think you can ignore its place in the market because yeah, Xbox One S was a means to enter 4K media and HDR, but this is the real competitor to PS4 Pro, and it means that they're kind of behind the game a little bit. They're playing from catch-up, not only from overall console sales, but they're releasing it later. And yeah, of course, they had to make it more powerful. It it had to be, really. But when you look at PlayStation 4 Pro sales right now, and mostly notice how Sony's not talking about how many PS4 Pros that they're selling, uh, it kind of suggests that it's falling short of expectations, that you're not seeing many current owners needing an upgrade. Uh, But it kind of plays more as a viable option if your original console goes bad or if you have a long time holdout finally wanting to get on board and upgrading to you know a premium product you know for the possible you know holdouts of waiting on xbox one or ps4 uh you know general you know marketing uh just economics i guess would sort of dictate that they would go for the lower model but if you have a gamer that's saying, you know, I, I have my PS4, I'm really happy with it, but I want to try this Xbox thing. And, you know, because I like playing games, maybe I'll go for the Scorpio. Maybe you get some of those sales there. But it's important to note that core console gamers are a niche in the industry. Now, granted, they're a powerful one with, you know, possible sway and some connections to the industry itself, but a small one nonetheless. And then when you think about those who care about specs, uh, it's a niche beyond that. 
So you're talking about a small audience that they're trying to kind of sell this device to. And granted, it may be bigger than it is in the last decade, you compare it to 10 years ago, those who cared about powerful machines and all that, but it's, it's still a very specific audience that you're talking about. Uh, personally, as someone who doesn't own a 4K TV yet, uh, Scorpio is not something for me yet. Uh, same thing with why I don't have a PS4 Pro yet. I don't see the advantages of 4K gaming. I don't see the advantages of even HDR yet because of the TV I'm playing on. Uh, now, granted, a, a big selling point of Scorpio that I'm sure Xbox fans are going to be more than happy to point out is that it's basically mandatory that all 4K gaming would super sample down to a 1080p screen if that's what the screen is detected. Uh, and that's great, you know, make a 1080p uh, screen, you know, really pop and look better based on the 4K image kind of shrunk down. Uh, but if you're someone like me who isn't even bothered when a game is rendered at 900p, I don't think you're really going to sell me on that necessarily. I mean, look at all the people who bought Nintendo Switch with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I mean, I don't think they were too bothered about playing a great game on 900p. And that's because in the end, it is the games that are the most important. Uh, Microsoft definitely has to shore up their first party offerings. We've seen some weaknesses there with the mess of scale bound I and mean, the silence on Crackdown, uh, different alphas for Sea of Thieves. And there really isn't much of a clear breakdown of what team is working on what, especially when you compare it to the PlayStation portfolio of their first party studios. So they'll definitely have to make that very clear at E3. But then we also talk about the third parties. Uh, you know, the marketing, I don't think will necessarily trade share for power. They'll look at the nearly double the audience on PlayStation 4 Pro. I mean, so you're not gonna see Call of Duty or anything like that, oh, you know, now swayed back to Microsoft because of power. No, it's gonna be the market share there on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 4 Pro. That's where, you know, Sony's gonna have the deals to keep the downloadable content first and all that stuff there. Now, if Microsoft wants to throw marketing dollars at a third-party developer to say, hey, Rockstar, uh, whenever you're ready with Red Dead Redemption 2 there, probably not this year, just you know, throwing it out there. Uh, if you wanna throw some marketing dollars at that game's way, you know, bring some content first to Xbox One, you know, looking really good on Scorpio, you can't rule that possibility out, but you know, they're not gonna say, oh yes, we are drawn immediately by the power, so we're going to give you all these exclusives first. Now, Jeff Keighley had an interesting quote on Twitter today, and I thought it was rather insightful. He said, quote, a lot of it is what you do with that power. How is the experience going to change? How do we advance the medium? And it really all just goes back to that fundamental point of graphics are only part of the equation. You know, those who are new to games can look at graphics and say, wow, that game must be awesome. But those who love games like we do, and if you're listening to this podcast, wanting to call in, you love games, uh, you know, you know that it, graphics are only part of it. It's it's the experience, it's the gameplay, it's it's everything. So power only does so much. And if we're just going to make the same kinds of games, well, okay. I mean, that's, that's one thing. But not everyone is drawn by a game just looking nicer at a, a different resolution. It's, it's not exactly that. But at the end of the day, it means E3 2017 just got a whole lot more interesting. And it was already interesting to begin with. But when you're talking about the official Scorpio reveal at Microsoft's press conference on that Sunday, uh, it should be really interesting to watch because they're gonna talk about, I would imagine, 
their kind of marketing vision. And I think they kind of have to sell it as Scorpio is the best place to play games. Uh, they can't really go at it with the whole approach of we're going to blow our competition away. It's not even close because you have to kind of think that the developers, especially third parties, have to play nice between both systems. So you're talking about, you know, Xbox One or Scorpio, Xbox One, PlayStation 4 Pro, PlayStation 4, if they possibly have a Switch version, you know, PC, all these different kind of levels that their game has to kind of work at all these different steps. So you, they can't really say that, you know, we're, we just blow the competition away with the, the best everything. They can say it's the best place to play games. And I think, and they'll also keep using that most powerful console ever line. I think that's an important one for them to sell. But I don't think they can distinguish themselves separately from the industry. They have to play nicely. They have to kind of integrate themselves and say, you know, this is the best place to play, but we still kind of play nice in a way. I think that's important. But you also have to make the case for why not just have or get a gaming PC? And that puts them in an interesting position when they're talking about that Play Anywhere initiative where all first-party Microsoft games will also be on Windows 10. Yes, even Halo when they said back in the day. So I think that's the big hurdle that they kind of have to get over uh, as far as marketing goes. But also at E3, you're going to have kind of Sony with their already revealed PlayStation games, uh, kind of seeing where some of those are at. But also, I would, I would imagine that Sony has some new surprises for E3 2017, and Nintendo is going to be really big as well. Uh, you know, now that Switch is off to a pretty successful start with Zelda, what else do they have in the pipeline? And we're not talking about, you know, Mario Kart 8 and Arms and Splatoon 2 and you know Super Mario Odyssey. What else? They got to kind of nail out those heavy hitter plans. Let's talk about Virtual Console, even if it's at a Nintendo Direct beforehand. Let's let's get it all out there. So. And that's just, you know, the first parties. I mean, there's there's EA, there's Ubisoft, there's Bethesda. E3 2017 really shaping up to be a good conference. And, uh, you know, Scorpio's news today really helped sell it. So that's what I have to say. I also really wanted to talk about the Atlas streaming uh, news today, but I've already gone on for about 20 minutes. So maybe one of you calling in will be interested to discuss that. So we'll get to the callers when we come back. What do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts, but you can also bring up whatever gaming topic you like to discuss. I mean, whether it's news, whether it's your favorite games, whether it's games you're playing recently, anything is on the table there. And don't forget, you can also reply to another caller has to say as well. That's all when we come back here on the Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. Let's get to the callers. Let's see what you have to say here on this Thursday evening. Joining us from Michigan, Scott, welcome back to the Power Switch. Hey, Pete. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? I am uh, pretty damn good. I'm just deep into Persona at this point. I'm 20 hours in, about 22 hours in, and it came out on Tuesday. So wow. Yeah, that's, that's am, uh, uh, pretty hefty. Yeah, but loving it. Loving it. The only thing I would generally say that I have not enjoyed is Igor's new voice. Um, way too deep and kind of like audio tweaked for my taste, but it is certainly different. Uh, you know, it can be explained. I would imagine by you know the the voice actor in Japan died a mm -hmm. handful of years ago, and so for the different spinoff games, Arena in particular, they used already recorded lines, just kind of repeating 
his lines mm-hmm. there, at least over here uh, in English. So that's that's one thing. Uh, the big decision really comes down to over in Japan, uh, making the casting there. And, yeah. they, and they cast a very deep Igor voice over there. But I'm, I'm not about to you know, start speaking Japanese. But the localization tried to keep things very, uh, you know, similar, I would suppose. Mm-hmm. So that's why we kind of get the deep voice over here. It is rather different for the welcome to the velvet room that we're, right. we're all used to. But uh, it's, it is a startling change. And then you also have the people who say, oh, I don't like how they say Sakamoto and all mm-hmm. that. But then you have, you know, the voice actors who are already on record saying that, you know, that's kind of what they told us to say uh, with our, mm-hmm. our Japanese kind of uh, envoy in a way. The uh, the person yeah. who's kind of there in the studio making sure everything's all hunky-dory, which they dropped a hunky-dory in the game. And I was like, was not expecting, not expecting that. A really. <laughs> random M- or an NPC said, come at me, brah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> they have like, uh, okay. some interesting uh, localization There's- there. That and definitely some pop culture references. I've I've encountered some various movie references and things like that along my gameplay. So I wanted to point out one of them, and I gotta pull up my phone here for Twitter. But uh, John Harden was the the PR sort of director uh, manager at Atlas before he left a few months ago, and it was kind of around that time when you know Persona Five was uh, delayed. That second time he he left the company, uh, that's that was a tough time for him. Uh, but <laughs> there's a tweet that kind of captures uh, Mishima saying, "Or are you more into streaming? I'd glad I'd gladly subscribe to your channel." Uh, and so then the person who's I guess a NeoGaf member says, "If you answer yes, the game uninstalls." <laughs> and uh so john harden quotes that and says and that's how i lost it so hard i spit my drink all over my screen and my keyboard at work during a conference call uh, mm-hmm. that's a that's a pretty funny pretty funny reaction there so uh that's kind of a yeah. mess over at atlas there um and i don't want to yeah, go too I, into it I don't, but yeah. I don't, i'm right there with you i don't agree with it whatsoever but because you, you stream as well whole, and that's got to be crazy uh, for that you wanted to well, stream it, persona 5 there's that and it's just this game's been out for a while in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the screams of Atlas of Japan said this and their hands are kind of tied. I d- this doesn't sound like a U.S. company decision to me. Yeah. And when you think about it, uh, Atlas of Japan tried to kind of try this sort of thing before with Persona 4 Dancing All Night. Uh, definitely had some you know copyright strikes or channel takedowns during all that but then you had atlas usa reverse that and uh Mm -hmm. now it seems like because of what persona 5 means that company all the work they put in yeah i think if anything that's the big takeaway from this uh this whole atlas mess is that it's it seems to be coming down from japan and you can even tell in some of the wording from that blog post that it's they're almost like look we we don't want to but we kind of have to so this is how it is and now you're Mm -hmm. seeing uh reports of Sega with Puyo Puyo Tetris. Over in Japan, there are more video restrictions. Now, I guess these aren't happening in the West, in uh, the USA and Europe. But it, it again, it seems to come from Japan. And when you also kind of look at Nintendo and not understanding YouTube and all of that, you know, trying to let people do their own thing, uh, that seems to be kind of the focus there. Though I also read uh, from... I think is the video game lawyer or something like that. One of these, like a Twitter account, and he's he's known for representing you know video game uh, cases, really. Uh, but he he has some interesting insight on Twitter, uh, basically saying that uh, you know let's plays 
streams. These kind of things aren't really covered by fair use. It's more out mm -hmm. of the niceness of these different publishers that they've kind of been hands off of this kind of stuff. They kind of have let it flourish. And you know, many I would imagine have seen the benefits of the word of mouth and the spreading of that. Now you will have some, like I would imagine atlases who want to focus more on uh, the sales of the game and not spoil it. They want to you know, code it as we don't want to spoil the game, but it's really kind of backfired on how all the Twitter bots and all. I'm hesitant and worried and I just don't put in hashtag Persona 5, Persona 5 in any of these, these tweets recently because mm -hmm. word is that there are bots that are going around that auto reply yeah. with end game spoilers. So it's mm -hmm. really kind of backfired that trying to prevent you know, these, these spoilers from happening, but they don't really know how to properly do so. It's one thing to say we discourage it, but to to threaten with all the YouTube stuff and all. I don't, I'm sorry, I kind of went in deeper that I, I would have oh, probably no wanted worries, to, but no I, I think it's it's important to talk about. But note that, you know, it seems to be coming from Japan primarily. Yeah. And uh, well, I just think of the, a lot of the thing, like the copyright strikes that Nintendo of Japan does against YouTubers. Mm -hmm. it, this, it just seems very much like a Japanese culture kind yeah. of issue as opposed to specifically a Nintendo of Japan or um, an Atlas of Japan, like a very unique case of it. I feel like it's more of a Japanese culture thing mm -hmm. um, and the companies out there than it just this doesn't sound like having worked with atlas pr people with dashing nerds and everything in their pr reps this it doesn't sound like them right so the fact that they're taking a very hard stance and kind of issuing warnings like don't do this doesn't sound like them at all but right yeah it's uh yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how it develops i mean for all the goodwill that this game had and you know some of it has kind of been sucked away from this a, mm -hmm. a little bit and that's unfortunate to see but I'm glad to see so many people enjoy the game. I can't wait to play more of it. I just have not had a time to mm -hmm. sit down and devote hours to it. And I wonder if I will this weekend. This weekend's going to be even busy with uh, lots of podcasting and whatnot. But I, I really can't wait to get back to it. I, uh, yes. I'm, I'm really excited from what I've played so far. It's, it's a great game. It's a great game. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. But uh, Scorpio, that's a thing. That is a thing. Uh, it was interesting uh -oh. to kind of hear rumors kind of pop up about that last week mm -hmm. and say like, oh, the, there may be a reveal event of sorts. And uh, then rumors kind of said that it's like, oh, well, it might be with an outlet. And then, you know, maybe Digital Foundry, that might make sense. And then, yeah, it was a couple of days ago that, you know, you're a gamer, Digital Foundry. They're kind of saying, mm -hmm. yeah, let's let's clear it all up. We're, it's going to be on Thursday. It's going to be at 9 a.m. Eastern time or six Pacific, whatever they, they said. And uh, yeah. yeah, very, very numbers heavy. But what was your take on yeah. it? It's very powerful. I like what they sh they talked about. It's a very it's going to be a big, powerful system. I still feel exactly how I kind of did when if they first announced it, like not entirely sure of who it's geared for, because um, I know in the announcement they said that this is to try and get developers on board, but I don't know how much, like you were saying before, I don't know how much at this point so far in the life cycle, how much power will really pull people back as I think the the sales numbers distance is much bigger fa of a factor than the sheer power of it, mm -hmm. especially when they're all developing for multi-platform already. Um, so I don't know how much that will really affect. I hope it does well. Um, they've already said that they don't expect the Scorpio to sell as many 
units as the original, like the Xbox One. It feels like it's geared more for people that already have an Xbox One and have a nice 4K TV that they didn't have when they first bought the system. So they want to upgrade to something to take advantage of it. I don't have a 4K TV like you do, so I'm not interested as much. Like, so I don't have a PlayStation 4 Pro or anything. So I don't feel right now the need to get it. My Xbox One doesn't load slow enough for me to really be like, oh man, I want that the Scorpio just because it will load things faster or things along those lines. And the super sampling, okay, cool. But that's, I think this is going to be a $500, $600 system. It, I don't feel the need to spend that much money on uh, right now. Like if I buy a new TV, then that, that'll be a different thing. But Right. So yeah, we're in a similar boat there. And yeah, you basically nailed that. We're talking about <laughs> such a niche market that it's for people who have an Xbox One, you know, for one, mm-hmm. you'd imagine. For those that want that you know, greater tech experience, for those that have 4K TVs, it's just getting narrow and narrow. And I'm, I'm glad that you know, they seem to have their expectations in check. I think Phil Spencer went on yeah. IGN's Unlocked podcast and said something to that effect, uh, that they know it's you know, for a very specific market. Uh, so yeah, keeping the expectations in check. Um, but they, they see that the core gamer is where a lot of the money draw has come from uh, this generation. And so that's kind of where they're marketing towards. Um, the gamers that have a lot of disposable income that have been able to afford a 4K Ultra HD TV, things along those lines. But in the same regard, a lot of those people I feel that are into gaming that have the money to invest in things like the 4K monitors or 4K TVs, I feel they already probably have a really good gaming PC. So it's like this is appealing to the well, kind of well-to-do people with disposable income that like games that don't necessarily have a really good PC, but instead are more like console gamers. So they want to spend money on like a higher-end console. But at the same time, Microsoft, like with their cross-buy promotion, this isn't pulling people that have good PCs to try and get into the console space because of the cross-buy. You can get a lot of the Xbox One games now on Windows. I feel like this is just for upgrade people that people that already have an Xbox and just want to take more advantage of their 4K TV. Plus, with this coming out later this year, I can see Sony lowering the price of the PlayStation 4 Pro down to 350 or 300 and then the PS4 lowering that down slightly. So now, what, you're looking at maybe the Xbox One Scorpio or whatever being one to two hundred dollars more expensive than the playstation 4 pro yeah that's that would be a power move wouldn't it that'd that'd be that'd be something for sure what do you think about you know the games because yeah at the end of the day it's you know it's one thing if you have the most powerful games console ever made and you know that'll make Mm -hmm. the xbox fans very happy they'll get to swing that around and tout that around Uh, but as far as the games go i mean is there something that you hope at e3 or I think it'll be a very interesting E3 to see what Microsoft comes out with, um, what they announce. I think we'll get a more definite, like a more unveil conference or event for the Scorpio prior to E3. Interesting. Yeah, that would... Um, So they can focus more on games and maybe like a launch day or something or price point for the Scorpio at E3, but not do the whole, not take the time to do the whole curtain pulling and things like that. Have it be like a Scorpio event specifically. But these last couple months, just with the incredible strength and like high reviewed Sony exclusives, 
have made me realize and or made it more apparent to me that I'm hoping that now with Microsoft coming out with this with Scorpio and can kind of get past the we have the most powerful system, they can now start investing more in releasing exclusives and really diversifying their exclusive portfolio because that is what Microsoft is so sorely lacking compared to Sony and Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you just look at this first few months of, of Sony. I mean, you you have Neo, you had you know Horizon Zero Dawn, you have Near Automata, you have Persona Five. It's just you know one after the and other. All four of those, I think Near Automata, Automata or whatever, is now down to an eighty nine on Metacritic. But out of those four, you basically have four exclusives for Sony, all sitting around the ninety mark, yeah, ninety it's, plus it's mark. Pretty remarkable. And they're all different. You have an open world with Horizon. You have an action hack and slash with Neo. You have Persona 5, which is a traditional JRPG. And then you have a platinum kind of action RPG with Nier. Mm-hmm. That right there, you have so much variety and diversity in that for the Sony platform. Well, with Microsoft, I mean, they're not doing Fable anymore. So you don't have that exclusive RPG kind of experience. You don't have Scalebound anymore, so you don't have that kind of action RPG exclusive experience. Okay, you have Halo and Gears, so you have shoot 'em ups. Like you have your shooters. Those are big properties. And I imagine we'll hear something about Halo six yeah. or the next Halo game. Right. They have shooters and then Forza, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean Crackdown, I, 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 yeah. Okay, you have Crackdown as well. Which I'm I'm definitely looking forward to. I'm excited about Crackdown. I like the previous ones, but that's a shooter again. Granted it's a more stylistic RPG-ish shooter. And they had Halo um, Wars 2 this quarter, so... That they them. didn't market <laughs> yeah. worse shit, exactly. it feels yep. like. Mm-hmm. They just need more. They have Sea of Thieves. One of my friends uh, from Dashing Nerds actually got it recently mm-hmm. uh, for Sea of Thieves, so I got to watch him play that, and I just... I get, at least from the Alpha, and I hope it doesn't turn out to be, I get a very No Man's Sky vibe from Sea of Thieves. Oh, Interesting. I'm hoping they just, they need something. They need something big that they don't cancel. And Phantom Dust, that'll be cool. I'm glad that's starting. They'll get shown. So again, it comes back again. Yeah. Comes, um, comes back again. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to really be all eyes on E3 for sure. And uh, that'll be fun to watch. Oh, well, we'll have another uh, big thing. I know you and I have talked a bit about what we'll be doing this year for mm-hmm. it. So that'll yeah. be exciting. And we're, just a little over two months out, so we won't have long to wait. I'm already excited to see different gaming podcasts like start to talk about like what what will the conferences have and all that. It's like oh yeah, I should probably start pulling together some uh, some of these mm-hmm. yes or no questions that I've done in podcasts past. Like that would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, definitely. All right, well Scott, thanks for calling in. Uh, people can find you at dashingnerds.com, the website you help run. Also on Twitter at Solid Snake One Twenty. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, that'll do it. <clears throat> that you pretty pretty much got it. I'm also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash solidsnake120 as well. All right. Well, have fun keeping on playing Persona. Make some more good progress. Yep. And, I gotta uh, go steal some hearts, change some people's lives. There you go. You know, change some, some, uh, change some corrupt adults there. Well, thanks for you calling in. Have a great night, and thanks again. Thanks for having me, Pete. All right. Talk to you soon. And joining us from Texas, Jesse, welcome back to the Power Switch. Glad to be back. Absolutely. Uh, known as Axelev. Uh, thank you for, for letting us into uh, your, your first name there, I guess. So what would you like to talk about today? 
I'm going to talk about just what the hell is going on with this generation right now. This generation of games, I mean. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a pretty different one, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people compare it to what the cell phone model, uh, something like that. that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was something I was talking about earlier. It kind of reminds me of just the way cell phone models change. Yeah, and at least with those, I mean, it's uh, they're kind of broken down the monthly payments, uh, you know, the different carriers kind of help offset the costs a little bit with all their different plans. I mean, it's certainly not the case with games. And I'm glad that we're not at a, a point where we're seeing yearly consoles. I mean, granted, you have the the One S and then the uh, Scorpio would probably be about, about a year apart there. But uh, I don't think that's going to be a, a continuing sort of thing. Um, it, it is different. Uh, it's, it's certainly interesting to see how people are adapting to that. I mean, for the, the first kind of time ever that we're seeing these sort of mid-cycle, you know, big revamps. I mean, you saw stuff with, with Sega back in the day and that, that certainly didn't work right. out too well. A bit of Sega. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the with 32X and CD and all that. And yet those were, those were pretty big jumps, but I think it's, we're in a time where it's now a little more expected. And I think, yeah, because of phones. Uh, so we're kind of seeing that tested and you're seeing some consumers bite, but uh, many not yet. And so I think that's kind of where we're sitting there. Yeah. And it's not just phones. It's also like tablets, like uh, the iPad and Kindle. Right. Those kind of things also have frequent updates like this. Well, it's the and whole, uh, it's what Miller's law or something like that. Whatever the one that's, you know, every 18 months computing power goes up by one and a half times, something like that. So you know, we're, we're keeping getting on more powerful machines and, there's only so long before that next upgrade's needed. Right, and that's the conundrum I felt has been just a problem with consoles in general because consoles are always going to be playing catch-up with PC because PCs get upgraded as new parts come out, but consoles usually have to stay the same for their lifespan. And with this generation, consoles were already lagging behind PCs, well, as they always do, but right from the get-go, there's already a big space from what I can tell. I don't know, it's just, I think the consoles are in a weird spot right now, and we're seeing things like these mid-generation changes. Like, well, the first one really was actually the new 3DS, I think. Mm. A bit like when, I mean, a bit more comparable to like when the Game Boy went to the Game Boy Color or when the DS went to the DSi, but still that is something that can play exclusive games on it. So in a sense, that is kind of like a mid-life upgrade for that system. Yeah, I suppose that is similar as well, yeah. Yeah, what it does make me think of is like the Sega Genesis mods, and uh, not just the mods, but the uh, the new models that kept coming out, like the Sega Genesis Two. Mm-hmm. And this isn't new. I mean, new models of consoles come out all the time. Like Nintendo has made lots of just uh, miniature models of their previous consoles in the past, like the Top Loader NES or the the Wii Mini that kind of fell off the map very quickly. Right, right. I remember that. But yeah, when you're adding the, the boosted power to this, and then everyone's still trying to play nice, I mean, it you know, still plays the games, but just better, uh, that add, does add some more complexity to it, uh, for sure. Right, and the reason I started thinking about phones is because it makes me think of like what the uh, smartphone marketplace is like, because, I mean, you've got all these phones that kind of share the same marketplace, although, I mean, there's some games out there that can only be played on like the latest software, and, you know, older models can only go so far before they become just unusable. Those apps are such a, you know, huge, just there's, there's so many and it's almost like you're drowning in all of them. Uh, I think that is going to be the really interesting point is when 
do console games hit that breaking point? Like when does the original Xbox One and the original PlayStation 4, when is it just is it not able to properly run a, a game that, you know, is the top end of the third party? So let's say like the next Assassin's Creed or whatever, Assassin's Creed, you know, down the line. If the original systems aren't able to play that anymore, like what do we do then? Uh, because we kind of saw that a little bit with uh, new 3DS, like trying to cater to, you know, 3DS and new 3DS with uh, Hyrule Warriors Legends. And yeah, on a new, uh, just, you know, a new 3DS, it worked fine. It looked great. Uh, regular 3DS, that struggled. Huge difference. Right. Uh, I haven't played that one, but I have seen like the difference between uh, playing uh, Sun or Moon on an old model 3DS compared to a new 3DS. And it definitely runs a lot smoother now on the new 3DS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you saw loading times on, on Super Smash Brothers. So, yeah, the, the differences are there, and it's it'll really be interesting to see you know when, when it does come out because you're seeing with uh, PlayStation 4 Pro and PS4, I mean, yeah, you're, for something like Horizon Zero Dawn, you're getting the HDR, you're getting all these nice little upgrades, but they're, they're mostly superficial. They're mostly just visual. You know, the game still plays fundamentally very nicely on a regular PS4, and so that at least we're seeing that there. But we'll have to see when Scorpio gets out in the wild. But I can say the same thing about some smartphone games that I see running on older operating systems. They still they still run a lot smoother on the newer ones. And I just wonder is that what gaming is going to be like soon? Are we going to see a games run passably on older systems? But if you want to really play them well, you're going to have to get the new 32-element OP RS. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. And you mentioned uh, Nintendo Switch. You know, who's to say that Nintendo, with their love of these mid-cycle refreshes, you know, come out with a Nintendo Switch a couple years down the line that has, you know, better guts in it, new battery, you know, or even maybe a bigger screen. Who knows? Uh, you know, it's, anything's possible. I think due to the portable nature of the Switch, it actually has a lot of potential for a good mid-cycle release. If this takes off very well, which it seems to be doing so far, I think what they might want to do is they might want to try making a 4G model. Mm, possible, or yeah. Or maybe something with more power to it. Or maybe give it a clamshell cover just for some extra protection. Or that looks great. I mean, my one problem with the which said it's the first Nintendo console where I felt like if I drop it, I might regret it. Hmm. Whereas other things are just like, yeah, this is a tank. Right, right. And it's also the difference of, you know, it was actually, you know, premium sort of feel as opposed to, uh, it's bulky, it can, it can take it, yeah. I, I get you there for yeah. sure. Once I beat Breath of the Wild, I actually stopped taking my Switch around and I just started playing my 3DS again because I feel like, uh, yeah, this is a real, the real handheld experience whereas the, uh, Switch is a console that I can take with me. Yeah, I still think it might take a little more practice. I haven't found too many more games aside from Breath of the Wild or some Binding of Isaac that I've you know been playing on Switch, uh, mostly because I've been digging into Mass Effect Andromeda and Persona 5. Uh, actually, Mass Effect Andromeda makes you think they came up with a new patch today that you know all those different animation problems or some of the faces and eyes and all that, a lot of them fixed really nicely. I mean, you look in some of these eye comparisons, uh, especially with this Addison character, who's a, a human on kind of the, the space station sort of central there. She's like, sorry, my, my tired face. There's this scene that a lot of people ripped apart because the old version of her face, like 
the eyes looked dead robotic. Uh, just you know, yeah, they don't look like food fight anymore. Yeah, exactly. So these new improvements really helped, but it's that whole thing of okay, well, a game comes out at a certain time, but at what time do all the patches set in that make you want to play it? And the gaming industry, I think, is starting to get a little too used to that kind of thing. And I hope it's not the same way where when we have these differentiating consoles that. Oh well, you know we have these these nice higher end specs that work really nicely, but oh, I guess we'll just have to get used to the lower end. Like, no, it shouldn't be like that. And I, I hope that doesn't become a trend that we'll see in one game and then maybe two games and then it grows from there. You know, it's just something to keep an eye out for and hope it doesn't happen. Right, right. I just had like a little musing about the switch. I really hope to see some virtual console stuff soon because I think this is the one machine that I most want to have official Nintendo emulation on because, you know, I can get my virtual console stuff on the 3DS. I could get it on the Wii U, but then I have to make a choice of do I want to buy this for the TV or do I want to buy this for the Go? And the Switch, I don't really feel like I have that same need for like a universal service like that anymore because I can just do both. Take NES... Super NES, N64 games on the go with me. I thought they have like the Neo Geo stuff on there, and that's cool, but still waiting for like the real virtual console to come out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think that'll really help if they have a Nintendo Direct before E3 and it's just to announce that so then they can focus on you know the core Switch titles at E3. I think that would probably be the best bet. It's also been a while since we've had a Nintendo Direct. I mean, I don't know if the Nindies showcase necessarily counts, um, but I think that'd be a great way of going about it to, to kind of break down what is possible. And if, if they want to talk about their online plans where you're getting the, the virtual console game that has online multiplayer or whatever, then, you know, sure, talk about that as well. But yeah, that, there's a lot of potential there. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of salivating at the thought of, you know, taking an N64 game on the go. Like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it would be nice to have, like, a Nintendo Direct just to get clear up some of the uh, special features of the Switch that'll be coming soon. Like, uh, have a Direct that's going to say, hey, we've got Netflix coming on this date. We've got Virtual Console coming soon. And uh, uh, whatever other sort of side apps they want to do. It's really interesting how they haven't really talked much about that kind of thing. Because I felt like with the Wii, that was one of the big uh, appeals of it, that they had like all these little little channels that, like the uh, the news channel and the weather channel, were, like the the two that were kind of showing off early on. It was kind of a gimmick, but it was neat to have. And I want to know what kind of weird side stuff they're gonna have on the Switch. Yeah, I, I, I get that. But at the same time, there's also the argument to be made that, well, a lot of that you could also just look on your phone and do that. Uh, so that is true. There, that is something that is definitely a lot more relevant now than it was when the Wii came out. For sure, for sure. And I also do like I the am, focus on games so far for Switch. Like yeah, That's really I'm, helpful. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this pulled back first wave of Switch, just sitting back and just having just the games on it. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot like just the way it used to be when you get a new console. And the Zelda strategy has totally paid off. Where you know, give it a lot of, part of the pun, breath. Uh, you know, between major releases. I mean, by the end of April here, like people are going to be clamoring for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and so like that'll work out well. You know, a lot of the conversation will be over. We'll we'll have our spoiler cast on Sunday, so you know, looking forward to that. Um, 
But oh, yeah. I, I think that'll uh, that strategy is paying off pretty well so far. It's just they have to to maintain that momentum because you know once people put the switch down and don't touch it, it's you know what's going to make them pick it back up again. They're gonna have a uh, Mario Kart. They're gonna have uh, is Splatoon supposed to be in the summer? Yeah, Splatoon two summer. I would imagine that'd be like an August sort of thing. That's definitely a game that had like a good summer feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can totally imagine that. A lot of marketing possibility with, you know, oh, like water balloons, but oh, with paint in them. Whoa. <laughs> um, I think- yeah, Smash has to be, I'd imagine it has to be this year. If not, you know, early next Smash. year. Like, you know, they, they've got to announce it. It's got to be a thing. It's It would be so easy to port Smash it. Brothers. At, you know, at first I thought they were just going to port Smash 4, but after seeing that Splatoon 2 is an, a sequel, not just a port, I'm not sure if we're going to get a Smash 4 for Switch. They might make a completely new one. I don't know. I would imagine like a director's cut sort of thing. Yeah, add a couple things. Maybe like add Ice Climbers back in. Like that would be an easy thing to do. But add all the DLC, mix that all in. And then, you know, something like Mario Maker would also... Right, right, the 3DS stages as well. They'd bring that all into one package. And then Mario Maker would be another one that would be almost a no-brainer. Like, you know... You have to make it work so that, you know, all the online works, that all the courses can carry over. That's really the, the biggest part of the work, I'd imagine. But, yeah, you know, since Mario Maker 3DS was kind of half-baked in that sense, you know, to, to get the full experience on Switch, it, it'd be too perfect. And now, with the touchscreen still there, yeah, it just makes too much sense. I'm hoping that once we get to E3, we'll see a more complete lineup of how, of a, like a roadmap of what Nintendo's going to do going forward. Yeah, I think they need that desperately. They really do. I mean, games like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which I don't even think is going to be this year in America, and it's things like that I think only go so far. Right. What they need is like a, a good stream of heavy hitters like your Marios and your Zeldas and Smash. And with a few, with uh, some of the more casually selling games in between, like a Kirby. Kirby would be a great example of yeah, something. But Kirby yeah. really comes out a little late in the console's life cycle. And, you know, Pikmin 4 was a rumored thing for a long time at the end of the Wii U's life cycle. I have to imagine that moved over to Switch. There's a really good chance of that, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, has there been talk of, like, the Pokemon company has been given access to, uh, was given access to some Switch models early on to yeah, work with? Yeah, I mean, if, if Pokemon Stars, or if that's what they choose the name to be, if that's not announced at E3, and if that's not a switch exclusive. I think they're making a big mistake there. The argument could be made that like, Oh, we'll put it on three DS as well because of the market size. But if you want people to put their money where their mouth is and move over to switch and have that be the future, you need to have stars be switch exclusive. The thing is it would be a good business idea, but it's not consistent with how game freak has operated in the past. When you look at a decision to put black and white on the DS instead of the, uh, 3ds mm-hmm. but, but at the same time there isn't necessarily the business imperative to you know like this is right. this is nintendo's last one of their last big goes like you have to and we do, put the we chips do down have a new president we do have a new president of nintendo of japan i don't know how much influence nintendo has over game freak but i could see them trying to like uh, say hey come on let's get some stuff on this system because you put pokemon on a system and that's going to sell right right I, think we might be more likely to see like a, a spin-off title hopefully a good one in the near future 
because I don't know if they want to like uh, cut off Sun and Moon sales so soon. But I guess by E3 would be the right time to announce something like that. Yeah, and you know those games going to sell on 3DS regardless. I mean, X and Y still continues to sell, so it's it's still there. You know, people can still pick up Sun and Moon if they want to on 3DS. But if you want a version on Switch that has a few extra things, uh, you know, we got to see something like Pokemon Stars. Yeah, I I hope so. So I think you know Switch definitely has some potential there, uh, but yeah, E3, it all goes back to E3. We're a couple months away, and uh, it's it's going to really come I down to come. their strategy there. Yeah, I've just recently started to feel like yeah, E3 is coming soon. I'm getting excited. <laughs> it is. It's getting close to be that time. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for calling in. Any place there people can find you on the internet? Not. Typically, I don't really have like a really strong internet presence right now. All right, that's okay. So just keep tuning in the power switch. There you go. Keep tuning in. All right, well, thanks so much for calling in. You have a great night, all right? You too. Have a great time. All right, thanks. See ya. All right, guys, thanks for calling in. When we come back, I've kind of done this already a couple times with some of the big game releases out in the schedule. And so what it means to me, we're going to focus on Persona and what my experiences are with different games in that franchise. That's when we come back here on the Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. This week's Tempo Control Music is brought to you by Persona 4 Golden. You can find a new video game music top 10 list from a specific game soundtrack every Tuesday over at youtube.com slash rhymeswithasia. We're going to get to the segment here called What It Means to Me. Uh, you know, with Legend of Zelda, with Mass Effect, and those releases, I've kind of talked about my history with those specific series. And now with the release of Persona 5, and I'm only a few hours into this, uh, this new one, uh, but I want to talk about the Persona games and my experiences with them. Now, I don't have much of experience with the first two uh, Persona games. What, with, you know... Revelations, Persona, and then you had Persona 2, Innocent Sin and Eternal Punishment, never played those. Uh, Persona 3, though. Uh, Persona 3 FES is the one where I started with the series. And it was in 2010 and September of 2010. So what happened is I had heard people talk about Persona 3 for a while because what that game came out around 2007 here in the United States. So it's been a few years uh, and people were talking on the podcast that I hosted, Show Me Your News at the time, uh, saying that Persona 3 is great. Check it out. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. It sounds fun, but I'll get to it eventually. September 2010 rolls around and I graduated from undergraduate, uh, you know, college. I was kind of done with school, I thought, for a little bit there. But September rolls around. And for years, I'd been used to school, you know, going to school, and it, it's fall, like I'm, I'm going back to school. And when I think about Persona and I hear people talk about it, it's like, oh, this game, you kind of live life as a high school student in Japan, and then you have some extra supernatural stuff. I'm like, all right, I'll try Persona 3, and I could find the, uh, the FES version, which I didn't know was such a big difference at the time, you know, adding all the extra content and whatnot. Turns out probably a good decision to, to play that one at least. Uh, you know, easier to find at least a, a copy of that. Now, I never played the answer. Uh, I know it's kind of a mess, just you know, a slog and very battle-centric and kind of changes the perception in a way of the ending of Persona 3, which which has a strong, pretty powerful ending. Uh, 
But I really, really connected with that game as someone who was wanting to feel like going back to school, but not necessarily going back to school. Like that really scratched an itch. And with the score, the storytelling and the characters, uh, that was just all really powerful for me. So it wasn't too much longer after that, probably within the year that I started to play Persona 4. And that one I, I loved as well. It was a different feel, just a lighter tone to it. But I took to those characters a lot more. And uh, the murder mystery there, as opposed to uh, the supernatural goings-on in 3, uh, that was a better narrative hook. Yeah, the going into the TV, a little strange. Kind of tough to grasp that one at first, especially I mean, the difference between the dark hour and then going into the TV world, a little, little different there. Uh, but I, I really connect with the characters a lot more in Persona 4. And so... I you know probably would have been up there in my top ten favorite games right there, but then playing Golden on Vita uh, and the improvements they made to that game, that really, really sold the experience as my favorite game of all time. If I had to listen, and I did uh, last episode of this show, but Persona Four Golden was a special one to me, and yeah, that in particular, I, I still think of the ending and and that music and it. It makes me feel the feels. If I were to quote Aaron Flynn of Bioware, <laughs> uh, I get you know a little emotional, a little misty-eyed thinking about it, and like all those adventures and and all those characters. Uh, and then when you add the changes, like with adding Murray into the game, and you add the extra you know, dungeons and little events and the epilogue, uh, that's a really special game. Uh, really, really special. And then from there, uh, it was only a couple years ago that I finally got to try Persona 3 Portable. Uh, a different experience. Uh, you're not you know, running around in, in that 3D world. It's more of a top-down, move the cursor to go different places. It kind of streamlines it a little bit. Uh, but then you add the, the female uh, protagonist route. And so that was the one I played because I'm like, well, I, I know the, the male protagonist route in Persona 3. I want to see what's different with the female version. And when you have the reworked social links, many of them for the better, to be honest, uh, and a lot of you know new events there, uh, plus controlling your party members is a big deal that wasn't in Persona 3 and Persona 3 FES. Uh, to have it be in portable like it was in Persona 4, that was, that was a big, big improvement. Um, if it weren't for the presentation of that top-down mechanic and, you know, it's different. Like I wouldn't necessarily say portable should be your first take on Persona 3. I think, you know, if you're used to 4 or anything like that, go back and play FES. You have the PS2 Classic on PS4, uh, you know, or PS3 rather. Sorry, go and go and play that. Uh, play on your PS3, get the PS2 Classic, do that. Uh, but, you know, portable is probably the best overall package as far as the social links, the experience, all that. That that was really Really, really special. I'm glad I played that one to kind of flesh out the Persona 3 experience. But then you have all the spinoffs because Persona 4 is kind of where the series kind of went into the mainstream. So to play Arena and Arena Ultimax and just kind of going through the story modes there because I didn't care too much for the fighting, but they were canonical stories. It was the continuation of you know the Persona 4 team. And then you mixed in Persona 3 characters and that was really interesting. You know, Only a few in, in the first game, but then Ultimax kind of brought all of them. Uh, you know, Ken for better or for worse there. <laughs> um, but uh, then you had Q, which was the ultimate 
fan service and having those two worlds kind of collide with uh, three and four and those characters uh, kind of giving it the Etrian Odyssey sort of gameplay there with the first person dungeon crawling and the the map drawing and I played that one on a you know safe difficulty I mean that got to a certain point where it's like you're running into reapers and it's just like that's impossible like how are you going to beat them so I'm glad I ended up beating that, but even had to put it down way, way easy for, for some of that stuff because it's a, it's a different kind of RPG gameplay. And then uh, Dancing All Night was was just some silly fun. Uh, you know, the Persona games have really special soundtracks to me, uh, just, you know, some of my favorites. And to see some of the remixes, especially for 4, kind of played out in this rhythm game, uh, again, a, a canonical story, uh, go figure. Uh, and it's really also interesting to see some of those Easter eggs carry over to Persona 5 in the very early hours. Uh, I'll admit going through the subway system and seeing some of those posters, like that's a delight. That's a surprise and not really spoilers or anything. Go find that out for yourself. Um, but yeah, Dancing All Night was a whole lot of fun too. So I always think of Persona not only as just something that means a lot to me because of the characters and the experiences and living in that Japanese world. But it also, it all goes back to why I tried the game in the first place was because I missed going to school after undergrad and, you know, the 16 years or whatever of, you know, going all the way through school every single year and September rolls around and wanting that experience. And Persona really scratched that itch. And I'm glad I still play it to this day. And I can't wait to continue playing five. And that'll do it for this episode of The Power Switch. We are hosted by RhymesWithAsia.com and we're on YouTube and Twitch at RhymesWithAsia. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Power Switch. And you can email us any concerns, questions, comments, or opportunities at PowerSwitchPod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Power Switch on podcast services such as iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And if you could be so kind as leave a review, that would really help as well. Most importantly, to participate in future episodes, you can join us on Discord by visiting rhymesthasia.com slash call. And it's a small but growing community, but in these early months of the show, it'll be easier than ever to have your voice heard on this podcast, so please feel free to do so. If you want a YouTube video to watch, I would recommend a podcast called Pockets Full of Soup. It's hosted by Jared Petty, formerly of IGN. He currently works over at EA, but he has a storytelling podcast, and he generally asks his, his guests... You know, name someone you're thankful for and tell me about them. Uh, and then he has some instant noodles, some you know, kind of quick fire questions, some fun stuff like cake or pie at the end. Uh, that's really fun. But his recent episode, episode 37 of Pockets Full of Soup, had Nick Scarpino from Kind of Funny on, and uh, that was really an insightful listen, uh, just to talk about you know the challenges of relationships and growing as a person and having someone challenge you to make big changes in your life. And, uh, I think that's something that, you know, everyone needs to hear, you know, male or female, just if you're hesitant to take that next step in life, you know, have someone really be there to push you because more often than not, if you're willing to take that leap, you know, you should do it, especially if you're in the early part of your life. It's, it's a good listen, a fun, fun podcast, just overall a podcast I'd recommend, but that recent episode in particular really, really stuck with me. It's on YouTube and iTunes and all those places there. Anyway, a busy weekend of podcasting here for the Power Switch. Uh, Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, normal episode time. Going to kind of recap things for the week. Still got to nail down a, a specific main topic there, but it may make things easier if we get our special guests lined up. Fingers crossed. We'll try to at least 
have that person on a future episode, even if this weekend doesn't work out. Also, Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time is going to be our Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild spoiler cast. So if you've beaten the game, if you want to talk about all things Breath of the Wild, that's Sunday, April 9th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to tune in to the Discord channel there. Uh, I will be traveling next week. I'm going to be in New York City. Uh, So if something happens during the week, maybe we'll have another hotel episode because those are certainly fun. And then going down to Virginia the week after that for a couple days. So back traveling, uh, hopefully for the last time for a while because, you know, things are kind of slowing down there at work, at least on the travel front. Anyway, stay tuned to our Discord channel as that all develops. And regardless whether it's live or on your own time, I look forward to you joining us for our next episode. With that, I'm Peter Spezia. Until next time, switch up, call in, game on.